Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of McMinnville podcast. Founded in 2007, UUFM is a gathering place for people who embrace a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are located in the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley wine country. Please visit us on the web at macuuf.org, M-A-C-U-U-F dot org. And if you are ever in or near the McMinnville area, don't hesitate to stop by and visit us. UUFM gathers in love and service for justice and peace. Well, we know Ronnie pretty well, but I think we learned something when we read her her bio, and if you haven't read it, she's been producing and sponsoring music, theater, and dance programs focused on themes of social and environmental justice for several decades in the Portland area and in Yamhill County. Ronnie has been an active member of UUFM congregation since 2007. So when I read the synopsis of her sermon, I got excited, and I tried to put that into a couple of words, and that was when I said, listen and change. That's the excitement. You've come here and you hear this, how it's dangerous to be a Jew. I'm going to listen and and I'm going to change. So, Ronnie, please. So, this is not going to be a lecture or a formal talk, but it takes the form of an informal memoir. What I ended up doing to prepare for my talk today was to simply sit down with my journal and write a few thoughts about the trajectory my life has taken and how I've been affected by the world not letting my family be what it truly is. And let me explain that. I was born before the end of World War II in 1945. My dad was away at war. My mom was living with her in-laws in a big house. We had three generations in that house. And I was born with the name of Roseanne Bernstein. My paternal family were the Bernsteins. My maternal family were the Mulwitzes. We were very Jewish. We went to synagogue. I went to Jewish Sunday school starting when I was maybe three years old. And... um, we were just very openly practicing the Jewish faith, which had been the faith of our forefathers all the way back in time. In fact, I found out with subsequent research that a number of my ancestors had been rabbis. So I had a clear identity. And um, we celebrated the holidays together. We had all kinds of traditions. I felt like I knew who I was. However, there were a few signs that my family was trying to keep me especially safe because when they sent me to school, the school they sent me to was Episcopalian, actually. It was an Episcopalian day school where we went to chapel every day. All the prayers were very Christian. And I was a little conflicted, and I thought, well, this is really strange. Um... I couldn't say all the words of the prayers because they contradicted what I was being taught in Hebrew school. Anyway, um, then my father came back from the war when I was a toddler. First, he took a job at the family store, and he worked for a while for his in-laws. And eventually, 
he wanted to do something more meaningful. He went to night school. He got a law degree from Columbia University because we were in New York at the time. And he decided the best kind of employment would be to work for the federal government. Well, by then it was the McCarthy era. There were strict rules. If you were Jewish, you could not work for the federal government. And if you were going to live in the D.C. area, you didn't want to be Jewish. A lot of the neighborhoods were restricted. Housing was not open to Jews or blacks, uh, just to white Christians. And um, everything was very, very segregated. So my family took the very difficult decision of... A, changing the family name. So instead of Bernstein, we became Barrett. Totally neutral name. I mean, it just it doesn't raise any ethnic thoughts of any sort, right? Uh, we also, at that point, were told once we get to D.C., we're not going to practice any Judaism whatsoever. That was my introduction to Unitarianism, in fact. Because when we got to D.C., my mother found a wonderful Unitarian congregation, actually in Bethesda, Maryland, and we joined that because everybody was welcome. And we found people of all backgrounds. In fact, my best friend there was Japanese, and his family, his grandparents, had been incarcerated in the camps for Japanese Americans. So we all had these various things where we were fleeing, and we came together and found this common purpose of supporting each other and finding dignity in just being human and being compassionate. Okay. Anyway, um, it was very interesting that at that point, though, I was confused. It's like, well, what about all the traditions that we practiced? Well, we had to give them up. No longer did we celebrate Passover. Okay, every time it went by, I sort of noticed it. Oh, yeah, that was my holiday. But I can't do anything about that. Okay. And my friends, I made a point of making friends who are not Jewish. I went out of my way. My, As I said, my best friend was Japanese. And my second best friend was Chinese. And it's funny because all of the friends were people who were not mainstream people. But neither were they Jewish because I felt like it wasn't safe to have Jewish friends. Very confusing. Very, very confusing. Anyway, so my middle years were ones of this sort of new identity as a whitewashed person who, you know, I'm just sort of neutral. I'm Unitarian, so I'm neither here nor there. And I don't have an ethnicity. And, uh, you know, don't ask me where I came from, because, you know, I'm not really very clear on that. Um, yes, I visited the rest of my family, but when I did, you know, I just sort of, how should I say, didn't identify with their background or their practices or their traditions. And yet, okay, we were living in a neighborhood in Bethesda, Maryland, in a rented house, and the neighbor across the street came over one day and he said, I suspect you are truly a Jewish family. You don't belong in our neighborhood. You need to get out of here. You realize it's restricted here. It's like, wait, wait, we're the Barretts, 
And we're Unitarian. No, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're hiding something. You have to get out of here or we're going to report you. So at that point, my parents had to find a new neighborhood farther out, and they looked farther out in the suburbs where a new neighborhood was being developed that would be open to all. And indeed, it was brand new, and it didn't matter who you were, and there were a lot of Jewish families living there, <laughs> in fact. <laughs> so we, we moved, and we found um, you know, a welcoming neighborhood, which I loved. And I had to change schools. And very confusing that we were constantly on the run. But this is the history of the Jewish people. If you read the history all the way back from the beginning of biblical times, um, Jewish people were always moving from place to place, never welcome in any one place. And so we sort of relived that as our own family. So anyway, we found that new neighborhood. Now, I got through middle school, which was then junior high school, actually. And I got through most of high school. And then well into 11th grade, my father announced, well, my job is no longer going to be based in Washington at the office. I'm being sent to Warsaw, Poland, and we're going to be based at the embassy in Warsaw, Poland. The year was 1961. It was the height of the Cold War. Warsaw, Poland, let's think about it. It was communist, but very, very anti-Semitic also. So the whole family had to move to Warsaw. I was pulled out of school shortly before the end of the year, in 11th grade, and we moved to Warsaw to this sort of funny little house that was very primitive on the outskirts of town. Everything was bugged. You could see the bugs sticking out of the walls because they did such a bad job. The car was bugged. You could see the bugs in the car. Every evening I would broadcast misinformation to the bugs because I thought it was fun because I was 16 and I didn't know better. But the one thing I never revealed is that we were Jewish. You know, it was other kinds of disinformation. It was sort of silly stuff. Um, uh, it was really scary times, though. We really had to watch our step. So that's when being Unitarian was definitely of use. I mean, we didn't attend any kind of services for sure, but it's like we don't openly practice anything. My father was a humanist, right? So it was safe, uh, sort of. I was sent to school in Switzerland. <laughs> Switzerland, very anti-Semitic, very, very anti-Semitic. If you check into the history of Switzerland, that's not a place where you want to be Jewish, um, even today. It's just not safe. So anyway, I went to an international school. There were people from all over. I made friends from many different nations. Not once did I reveal that I was anything other than Ronnie Barrett, Unitarian. And that's it. You know, I needed that cover. And I went to no religious services, didn't get involved in that end of things. Um, I graduated from that school, and I had to get myself into American University. My parents couldn't help. They were in Poland. I could send them a letter, but it would take months before I'd get a letter back, so they couldn't help me with getting into school. So I did that on my own and got myself into Cornell University. Well, Cornell, you'd think that would be a safe place for me to say who I was. 
I still didn't feel safe about that, though. So I went off to college, um, got myself in, still Ronnie Barrett, Unitarian. But the friends that I made, it's really interesting. The people I was attracted to (laughs) were people from the Middle East and Africa. I went to Nigerian parties. I went to Middle Eastern parties. I actually joined an Islamic women's group. Now, talk about something that today wouldn't be safe. This was the 1960s, though, and believe it or not, it was actually pretty safe for me to go to the Islamic services in the early 60s. I mean, I'm talking 63, and that wasn't a problem at all. And I I really enjoyed learning from the inside what it was like to be Muslim. And a lot of those folks were students who were just coming out of um, colonialism. They were the first generation to be um, educated and sent to the West to learn the skills that would allow them to lead their countries as independent countries after they had emerged from either um, mostly British or French rule. So those were my friends. Really exciting for me to be friends of those folks. But then there was a young man who proposed to me. He's from Algeria. He was Muslim, and he proposed to me. That's when I had to say, you don't know what you're getting into here. It, It can't work. And I told him, I said, you know, I'm Jewish. You can't take me home. <laughs> um, so, no, <laughs> I cut it off. <laughs> My gosh, that, that would not have worked. Even though it wasn't, it wasn't quite as dangerous then, actually, for a Jewish person in the Middle East as it would be now. Certainly not. Um, it would have been way too dangerous in a family setting. The family never could have accepted me. So when I got to graduate school, um, I still was attracted to people from all over the world. But I ended up dating a Frenchman and (laughs) a French Catholic. And so we started going to mass together. I thought, great cover. This is really good. And this time I took it all the way. I actually went to Mass every single Sunday. I had the Latin Mass totally memorized. I knew more about Catholicism than my fiancé. And uh, we got married in the church. I promised to raise the kids Catholic. I ended up converting to Catholicism. Talk about a cover. I actually have a baptismal certificate that I'm Catholic. I got a great cover. (laughs) A lot of Jews have done that over history, though. You talk about the Crusades, and you take a look at what a lot of people did, and there were lots of forced conversions and then conversions that were just practical, that like people needed a cover. So anyway, um, how did I relate to that, though? So here I am. I'm in Mass. Eventually, with Vatican II, the Mass changed to English, so I knew what they were saying. (laughs) And I realized wait, I don't buy into everything in the credo because I'm Jewish. I can't accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I just can't. It's just not my belief system. And so it was very conflicting. So I accepted the things about it that spoke to me. And there are a lot of common values because Christianity arose from Judaism after all. Some say that actually Christianity is a form of Judaism. 
or that Judaism was, you know, the, how should I say, the, um, the spring from which Christianity and Islam arose. You know, it all came from one place. So the basic values are the same. And I kept those values. But I, I said the prayers, and then I skipped the words that didn't work for me. So my spiritual practices were rather bizarre because I had to sort of work it like I had done in elementary school when I went to Episcopalian Chapel. You know, I just said the parts that worked and didn't say the parts that didn't work. But when it was about love and compassion and helping others, all of that was common. All of that was something I believed deeply in. And I kept that part of all of those faiths. So we got married. We lived for a while in France because my husband Bernard had to do his French military service. Uh, everyone at that time in France, all men, had to perform military service. Okay, And uh, I raised my first child, first of all, in France. Well, my French family didn't really accept me. There is how should I say, a kind of deep-seated racism in France, very deep-seated. And it's a very conservative family. And um, they knew I was other, and they never truly let me in. I mean, yes, I was at all the family meals, I was you know, present at all the family events, but they stayed at a distance from me. And it was really uncomfortable, but I, I lived with it. I thought they'd warm up at some point. It's sort of difficult. Um, but I could feel that sort of, okay, she's not truly a French Catholic. Uh -uh, we can't let her in the door. And they knew I was Jewish. I mean, that was, that was important. They, they had to know that. Uh, they knew my family, you know. Anyway, uh, so we lived in France for a while. Then we came back to the States so Bernard could get a job with the computer industry because France didn't really have such a thing. And we were still Catholics. We were still raising kids. So we went to Catholic Church in Massachusetts. I was on the parish council. I actually taught confirmation in the Catholic Church. And I was subversive because what I taught is think for yourself. Well, the priest found out. <laughs> Are you teaching those children to think for themselves? Oh, my gosh. <coughs> That's when I was um, let go from parish council. And um, I'm never again invited to teach um, a CCD. Um, no, no. Because literal catechism was still the way it was taught. Okay. Well, anyway, there is a whole generation, though, of children that emerged from that church thinking for themselves. <laughs> you know, I mean, I wasn't terribly subversive. It's just think. Use your brain. Okay. Well, anyway, so we did that till the kids were grown. And once our kids were grown, we never went to Mass again. It turns out Bernard said, that's, you know, really not for me because I want to think for myself. And um, the only reason he had followed along the tradition for the kids is that he'd been brought up that way, that that's what you do. And he thought that was important. But then the kids, as soon as they were confirmed, one of them said, you know, Mom, I'm an atheist. 
And the other one said, you know, Mom, I'm a pagan. <laughs> okay. So they, they have gone their own paths because I always taught them to think for themselves. <laughs> and um, to this day, now my daughter wants to know, though, all about her Christian, I mean, her, her Jewish roots, what the Jewish traditions are. And I'm starting to give her some of the family, you know, history and information. As I rediscover, I'm going through all of the trunks and boxes that I inherited from my mother, and I'm discovering my grandfather's diaries, my grandmother's writings, my great-grandfather's prayer book, um, my great-aunt's Torah, the Talmud from my great-grandfather. I'm All these things that I didn't even know existed, I'm finding I have them all, and I can reconnect directly with my ancestors through all of this preserved family um, memento material. And where I want to leave this is thank goodness for Unitarianism, because that's what saved me and gave me a place to have community and still does, because I feel like it's still not safe to be openly Jewish. I look at what's happening in the world. And, okay, on the East Coast, I know that the synagogues at this point have layers and layers and layers of security. And some of them, they have the gate around the gate around the gate with the security guards at every level. Look what happened with the Tree of Life synagogue. Look what happened in New York recently. All of the anti-Semitic attacks... Ditto for Paris. In Paris, every single synagogue has layers of protection. They're just not safe places. Nor are the cemeteries. The cemeteries are being desecrated in France. I buried my grandparents and my mom in an all-faith cemetery in McMinnville so that it isn't like targeted ever. And so they'll be safe and their graves will never be desecrated. I found out subsequently there is a family plot in a Jewish cemetery on Long Island, but that's not where they are. Because that one, it's vulnerable. It's terribly vulnerable. So my older ancestors, God forbid, um, they, you know, they aren't as safe. But anyway, thank you. Thank you for welcoming me within the fold here because it gives me a place to find community, to be safe, and to practice my faith in the way that I need to. Thank you.